come into your presence, God, is to come into the presence of holiness. We are overcome by emotions every time we come into your presence, for they are always a mixture of how holy you are and how they expose us. How the holiness of the Trinity exposes us when we come into your presence and reminds us of how far short we still are in attaining to the full likeness of our Creator. And yet at the same time, that same holiness of the God who is exposing us is also the same God whose holiness is engulfing us with love and mercy and grace, holding us close and reminding us that we are salt and light, that even as we are, unperfect though we are, all are, that we are critical to the ongoing nature of life in this world in which we live. For you have made us who we are. We could not have made ourselves, we could not have brought ourselves to you in any kind of form that would have been acceptable except you prepared the way through our Savior, the Christ. And so we remember him this day as we prepare to come to the table, to remember his life, death, and resurrection among us, to remember that he sits on high and continues to bless us and to be our righteousness. We thank you, God, for your son, the Christ, who came and lived among us and taught us and then returned to you to continue to love us and to whisper in your ear his great love for each of us as we prepare in this world to be that which you've called us to be, salt and light. In the name of Jesus, we pray this morning. Amen. Just a reminder, if you're here visiting with us for the first time, that when we come time to come to the table, you'll be directed by ushers how to come and to kneel at the chancel rail, and then someone will direct you back to your seat. It is a table of the Lord. It's not the table of the United Methodist Church. So anyone who wishes to speak to Jesus and to hear the words of Jesus, we invite you to come and hear his loving words of grace as you join the rest of this congregation in remembering his life among us. Did you ever stop to ask yourself this question? How did those early Jesus followers survive, even thrive, and become the church that we know today? How did that happen? It's kind of an incredible thought when you stop to think about it because quite, quite simply, that church was very small in number when it began. It was not only small in number, they weren't even organized to call themselves a church. They had no committee meetings set up. How did they possibly survive? They didn't even have a church organization. They didn't even have a church building. They didn't even have a Bible in the New Testament as we know it. In fact, they didn't even have an organizational structure, a staff structure. They didn't even have a pledge campaign. I don't know how they made it. And yet, they did, right? They not only made it, they made it in a wonderful kind of way, and they did so in amazing kinds of ways. As we think about that early group of followers of Jesus, we can't help but be overcome by their ordinariness. They were much like you and me. They were common, if you will, common people of the world, working class people for the most part in that inner circle of Jesus' followers. And then when you got to the outer circles, many more working class, many more poor, and yes, some of the upper class began to filter in to become a part of these early followers of Jesus Christ. And so when we think about them and we think about this text in the Matthew 5, we think about 
how Jesus chose to start the, this Sermon on the Mount. He started with the Beatitudes that we talked about last week. Eight characteristics of people who are part of the kingdom of God. Not only the poor in spirit, but the pure in heart. Not only the pure in heart, but those who are hungry and thirsting for a greater sense of righteousness with God and with their Savior. And not only that, but those who are persecuted for the name of Jesus' sake, who will be rewarded and who will find that they too are the children of God as they make peace amongst those in the earth who would have none. All of these people, all of this situation, Jesus is just unrolling before them in astounding ways to them because these were not the people that they normally thought of as being blessed. Bless those who are mourning? That seemed weird. And yet, God does it and continues to do it today, does he not? That when we mourn not only the loss of loved ones, but also the condition of our world and the lostness of people around us, when our hearts are broken for others, then indeed, we find the comfort in the presence of God, our Savior. As they continue on, though, and you think about this text, he, he now takes a jump. There's just these short verses that Cindy read for you earlier. And here he is describing their identity. Not only are they people who have these kind of attitudes, and not only do they find favor in God's sight, but these kind of people are something special. They are salt and light, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And we've heard those songs so many times, and we've heard sermons about them so many times, that at times we can stop and say, well, these are just kind of common. We all know that, right? And in fact, in the days of Jesus, salt was not so plentiful, nor was it so common, and nor was it a matter of taste. It was used as a preservative then, something that was common to the earth and also as light was common to the earth, but both were God-given. Salt and light were God-given. God-given gifts to make life on this earth more enjoyable, more satisfying, more tasteful, if you will, to bring a bite, to make something taste good. Have you ever tried eggs without salt? Have you ever tried eggs with not enough salt? I regularly try eggs with not enough salt at my house. It's a ritual we've been following for 40-something years. Sally does the work. She brings it out, and she says, you might want to taste those eggs for the, let's see, 365 times 43. For a lot of times she said this. You might want to taste those eggs because I've salt and peppered them both. And I look at them, I say, well, I can hardly see the pepper, so it must not be enough. I don't even bother questioning the salt. I just put a little more on it because I like salt. Salt goes together with eggs. It goes together with mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes without salt are almost useless <laughs> unless you want to make glue with them or something. I mean, you know, they just don't taste right. In fact, the salt you put in potatoes bring out the potato in the potato. And not only in that place, but salt enhances all kinds of products we eat. And it's not just the salt that you taste, but the other flavors that are hidden in the foods you eat are enhanced, made better by the presence of just the right amount of salt. And yes, I know you can get too much salt. I get that. Fortunately, that probably won't happen in my life for me, but for some others, it's really critical, right? Common elements, yet each is very valuable in its contribution to the world. Like the light that comes from the earth, sun and lightens up the earth, and like the salt that is 
found as a common element in the ground that makes up earth, so too are followers of Jesus. We too are common, ordinary people. We too are God-given. We're not self-made. You, don't, you may meet a self-made man or a self-made woman, but you will never meet a self-made Christian. We can't pull that off. The only way to be Christian is to be birthed by the grace of God that comes from God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You can't do it no matter how hard you try. You can't live up to being holy, 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 not even two holies. You just can't do it. We're just not equipped since the fall in Scripture to really be the kind of holiness that God is searching for or that we are capable of. But when our righteousness finds its home in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, through our faith in him, then we become something that is more than we are. We become righteous in Christ. Now, Jesus' followers, like humans not who are also not self-made, are the ones who affected the earth, if you will. Both salt and light are experiencers. They're experiencers, they're enhanced. And when they're enhancing our lives, lives are better. You know, they figured out how to catch the light and put it in a little golf ball. You can stick a little thing in a golf ball, and a certain kind of golf ball will glow like a little round globe. And then, for those of you who didn't get enough golf in the daytime, you can play golf at night. And they hook a little thing on the flagstick way out there on the golf course, and you can vaguely see it. And, you know, I've actually never done this. But I, I, I bought a couple of dozen of them because I thought I might someday, but I've, I've just never done it. But I'm always wondering what it looks like when it's flying through the air with that little lit up sphere rolling out there like a golf ball. And I'm wondering how you would ever find it even going in the dark, especially the way some of my friends hit that golf ball. I'd find mine. Them, I don't know about. If they are meant as enhancers given by God, what does it mean to say Christians are light and salt? I think we need to think about that. We are living in a time and a culture in which we may not be heavily appreciated as we once were. We may not be so highly esteemed in boardrooms or in political places where people are going to make decisions as we once were. But the truth of the matter is, we are still very precious to this world and to this earth because we belong to God and we are God's people. And regardless of what other people may think about us, we know what God thinks about us. He said, you're special. He said, you're salt and you're light. Isn't that supposed to be true of all of Jesus' followers? And you might think, and we get caught in this kind of thinking, especially in the American West, well, if they act certain ways, then they become salt and light. Or we might think, if they do certain things, they become the light of the world. So it's a possibility for Jesus' followers to become light and salt, but it's not necessarily going to happen. Well, I know some Christians that are dark in the middle of the darkness. Well, but that's wrong. And you say, well, what do you mean that's wrong? Jesus didn't say, if you keep the Ten Commandments every moment of your life and do everything you're supposed to do, then you shall be the salt of the earth. Jesus did not say that you are the light for the world to find Jesus if you come to church every Sunday, belong to Sunday school, attend three-hour-long finance meetings, 
or what have you. He said, you are, you are the salt and the light already. Already. It's been my experience in life that like the crowds that were hearing this Sermon on the Mount, there's both an inner circle and an outer circle of people who were listening to Jesus. In fact, one writer says not only was there the inner circle of the, of the 12 who was following him, but there were, and not only were there the people who were sitting up the mountainside uh, farther away but still part of the uh, conversation, but there are also the people who would later read Matthew's gospel who are hearing this text today, and that is who we are. That is who you are. Sometimes people get caught up with identity in their own lives and in, and in church because they don't feel like they're someone special. They don't feel like their church is maybe as special as it needs to be. But I've been part of congregations from as small as five people the first Sunday I showed up and as large as congregations as this and in other places as well. And everywhere I've been, I've found salt and I've found light. I found people that belonged to Jesus who were followers of the ways of Jesus to the best of their ability. And every one of them in their own way and in their own times were enhancing life around them. Their stories go on and on and on. I came to a Kairos team meeting, our last one before our event in mid-February. And a lady walked up to introduce herself to me and I said, hello. And she was smiling really big. And uh, I don't know if she thought I would know her or not, but... As she walked up, she had on this sweatshirt. Uh, word had gotten out one, Sunday, one Saturday our heater wasn't working, so everybody comes prepared. And as she walked up to me, and I saw her. She says, hi, my name is, and I didn't catch her first name, but Daft was her last name. How many of you know uh, a couple that used to attend church here whose name was Daft, D-A-F-F-T? Oh, come on now. I know it's been a while. She's been gone a while. You do remember her, yeah. She had on a sweatshirt that had all the pictures of the different buildings that were the church in Carrollton. She said, my children were confirmed there. We went to church there for years and years and years. Just wanted you to know that, what a wonderful place that place has been. You were salt and light for her and her family. That happens to me continually as I move around in this part of the world now. I run into people who at one time in their life lived here, no longer do, or, or other people who've moved farther away from the church and they're attending churches in other places, but they still remember with fondness what you did for them as the body of Christ and the part of that body that they were. They're still proud of that time they were there. I think it's important for us to celebrate who we are in Christ. I think it's important for us to remember that we have an identity that is made true because of who Jesus is for each and every one of us. Salt and light. Yeah, we have to take a look at the two of them, right? Salt, its characteristics are it is used uh, in the ancient world as a preservative. Now it's on every table you go into to make things to enhance the flavor and taste of the things we eat. It was also used in sacrificial ceremonies uh, way back when. It's a small thing, but it was great, of great value in the ancient world and is still in value to us today. You know, you say, well, it's very commonplace. Yeah, well, just take it out of your life and see how valuable it is. Uh, for those people who've had to quit taking any salt at all for health reasons, it really is hard for them to adjust and change their life in that way. And this a little bit of salt, this is my wife's favorite saying, makes a great difference. 
You don't have to put a lot of salt on it to enhance the food that you're tasting. In fact, if you do put too much salt on there, you can only taste the salt and not the true taste value in what you've salted. Now, let's think about what that means in terms of being salt for Jesus in the world. If there's the right amount of us in the right amount of places saying the right amounts and kinds of things, we become salt to the people around us. We enhance their lives. If we put too much of ourselves in someone else's life at the wrong time, it tastes yucky. Following me? And sometimes the church gets so hung up on trying to be the church that they think they're supposed to be that they oversalt life for people who aren't ready for that much salt yet. They just need a dash. They just need a little something to give them the taste for Jesus. They don't need to be overwhelmed by it. They don't need to have their life plowed over until Jesus does it for them through the Spirit. And so it's important that we, as salt of the earth, don't get so excited that we oversalt people's lives with Jesus. Just a little bit makes a big difference and does make room for more later on. Salt may be a small thing, but it brings out real life in people. So I just ask you the question today, have you ever gotten down on yourself and thought that maybe you weren't very valuable to Jesus? It's possible. We, we get drug into those thoughts and feelings at times. But remember this when next time you feel that. You go as you stand in front of a mirror and you say boldly, I am the salt of the earth. I'm the best that God's got in life. Because you're comparing yourself as a part of the body of Christ to other people who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You are the salt of the earth. I really believe that as long as the church is growing and thriving in any kind of way, that Jesus will refrain from coming to earth because he still wants the others to be saved. People wonder, why is he waiting so long? Well, he waited a long while for you probably, right? Remember? Yeah, and maybe he needs to wait a long time now for others who he knows is coming if he just tarries. Salt preserves the earth. The people of God make the earth tasteful to God and as well as each other. We don't need to bowl over people with our saltiness, but we need to add just a little of ourselves around them to enhance their life to where they might ask us the question, where did you get your tastiness? I know I'm getting a little weird, but that's okay. I have it on good authority. It's okay. When you get to giving that saltiness to someone else, then you're going to get to tell them, well, I was that way for you because I, Christ was that way for me. Or I was that way for you because it, someone did it for me who was following Jesus many years ago. You get the picture? Salt really is not useful by itself. You ever tried to eat a shaker full of salt? It's a bad experience, right? That just occurs to me that would be a good punishment for teenagers. Okay, maybe not. But salt only becomes really useful and helpful 
as an enhancer when it's spread around. Only then is it useful. And you know, if salt is not spreading its stuff around and being useful, you might as well throw it out, Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. And you don't have to be, you don't have to belong to a mega church up on the hill, which is literally true on this street, isn't it? Their church is no more important than we are. Their church may be larger in numbers, larger in programming, larger in budgets, but all they can do is be salt just like us. This is the description of discipleship that Jesus wanted to bear in their minds right after they realized they were being blessed by God and belonging to God. I want you to be salt, and I want you to be light. That's really all it takes to be a follower of Jesus. Now, light is the same way, except it brings illumination, doesn't it? It lights up everything around it, and it can be a path showing the way forward when the darkness is surrounding us. So I tell you that when we ask you to pray for us, when we're going to do a, a prison walk, we're going into a place of darkness. Life is not normal in there by anyone's understanding, or so I've been told. And when we walk into that prison, we'll be trying to be light, not the kind of light that blinds someone, but the kind of light that gently opens up the possibility of life with Christ. So that people who thought they were unworthy will realize that they too can be salt and light in the world. We want to be salt and light, and in fact, you already are. You're the followers of Jesus. You are precious people. And when you come down to this chancel rail to receive the elements of communion this morning, you open your ears and you open your heart to hear Jesus whispering to you, you are my beloved child. You are salt and light. Oh, I know you're not the greatest salt and light, the biggest shaker in the world. You're not the brightest light in the world to many, but for many, even more than you realize, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Live it. Scatter it. And great will be your life, and greatly affected will be the lives of others. Let us pray. Father God, lover of us all, the one who showed us salt and light, light as he lived his life among us, we desire to be that for you. In fact, it comes as a little shocking to us that we already are that to your world. We already are doing so many small things and little things that we hardly count, but you number them every one. You see every kind deed, you see every kind word, you see every thoughtful action that we take. Many times not even considering that we're doing the work of Jesus. Not trying to count up marks for ourselves, but knowing it just seemed like the right thing to do because of who we were and what someone needed around us. May your church continue to be the church that it has always been filled with common people and all kinds of other people who are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Thanks be to God for both.